This is Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for checking out my sermon podcast from the New Hope Walpolopin Faith, Stairwell, and Slocum United Methodist Churches. We'd love to have you join us some Sunday for worship. To find out more about our locations and worship times, find us on Facebook at New Hope Walpolopin. We hope to see you soon. Where does your joy come from? Well, for some of you, let me take a step back. My first question would be, do you live with joy in your life? Do you live with joy even when life stinks? Do you live with joy even in the midst of struggle and trials? If we were to ask the people around you, do you think people would be saying, oh, they're such a joyful person, they're always happy and upbeat? Or would they be saying, they're such a miserable person? That there. Our passage today from Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison. This should come no surprise. Paul spent some time in and out of the slammer, um, differently than some people we know. But he, he was in prison at the time, and he, he was waiting sentencing for preaching the gospel. Um, he had every reason at that time to be miserable. But he was uncertain what his fate would be, which is why we get verse 21, which we we have heard before. We might know it well. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul believed that if he were to survive his ordeal, to continue living meant being away from Christ. He also believed that if he were to lose his life, he would see Christ again. Because you have to remember, Paul had met Jesus on the road during his conversion. And I can only imagine what it would be like to, to be in the presence of Jesus and then be out of that presence again. I can't imagine you wouldn't spend the rest of your life longing just to be there again, you know? Now, I'm not sure about you, and maybe it's because I've never had a Damascus experience, but I wish that I could live with Paul's faith. And it's not because I don't have faith or don't believe. It's just I wish that sometimes I struggle with the uncertainty of it all. And I wish that I had Paul's belief, his certainty that he possessed. Because Paul's belief was that no matter what happened to him, Christ would be glorified one way or the other. He believed that that Christ was his ultimate possession and that in life or death, he still would possess Christ and that nothing could take that away. He believed that through a life centered on Christ, he had everything to gain. In life, he could advance the gospel and in death, he could be reunited with Jesus. For Paul, this gave his life purpose and meeting that Jesus was his focus. But see, this of course stands in contrast to what Jesus warns in Matthew 16, 26, for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Some translations use the word soul, which I, I like a little bit better. Because then you could ask, what? Are you willing to exchange for your soul? And we've seen those movies, The Crossroads. 
you know, the devil went down to Georgia, all that kind of stuff, you know, where people make, make deals with the devil so they could have this or that or the other and the cost is their soul. But how many times does this actually play out? Maybe not quite like the movies make it seem, but how many times do we sacrifice our soul for something that's not worth it? I think that too often we do that. We settle for less than what God intends for us. Um, Christian musician Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song, and I don't remember the name of the song, but basically the gist of one of the verses is like that too often we settle for less. And he he says it's it's like um, we're we're swimming in a mud or jumping in a mud puddle when God offers us the ocean to go swim in. So imagine if you go out into your street and there's plenty of them, and you find a pothole filled with water today, and you just sit there and go, this is the greatest thing ever, and then you go to the ocean. Okay, never mind. That pothole seems doesn't seem so great these now. But I think sometimes we do. We, we settle for less. And it's not that God has this ultimate plan because I think that's part of it is that we're constantly searching for this ultimate purpose. Like God's got this big plan, this purpose for me. But the whole time we're looking up here and God's like, well, what about this stuff that I've given you to do? Like we're looking for this grand purpose. And I think we also have to be careful that, that we don't – we're not afraid that the dumb, the dumb stuff we do is going to take that purpose away because if God calls us and God does call us, as I've said before, he factored in our stupidity. And if you're like me, and some of you are, there's a whole lot of stupid going on in here because I'm human. I do a lot of dumb stuff. And I just think that we worry a little too much about the world and we worry a little less about God. And I think because of this, anytime we settle for what the world has to offer, we've settled for less than what God has in store for us. See, Paul believed that as Christians, we're to live a life centered on Christ. A Christ-centered life means Christ first. That Christ is our focus. That Christ is our true north. You've heard that before. You're my true north. Christ is our true north, that, that he is our focus. And it means that our faith isn't an option. It's not something that we just pick up when it's convenient or put away when it's awkward. It means living for Jesus 24-7, making him our priority in everything we do. It also means that others will know because of how we live, because we're taking our faith with us into our schools and our work and our homes and, and the other places we go. We're not like laying it down, well, this is inconvenient, so I'm going to leave it here and go do some shady business deals or I'm going to leave this here and go to school and act like everybody else and use words that God wouldn't want me to use and behave in a way I shouldn't live, you know, behave. As I've said before, Andy Stanley said this, that our faith should cause us friction in this world. Our faith should constantly be rubbing up against this world and, and, and causing friction and, and the things we say and we do and our politics especially. I think that's one of the biggest areas that we've sort of we, we've kind of shaped in things that shouldn't be shaped. And, and our faith should cause us friction. And everything we say and do. I'll be honest, I think our faith is even going to cause us friction in church sometimes. Because we're going to hear things, we're going to be like, eh, I don't know about that. We're going to be here in our faith and we're going to be like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have, have done that thing I did last night, you know. But see, this is why Paul goes on in verse 27 to say this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, 
What does it mean to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? The gospel message is a message of good news. So first and foremost, that means living like we believe it's good news. It's, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, no, it's, it's good news. But it's not just good news to some. There is nobody excluded. That's part of the thing that I think Christians we struggle with is like, well, God loves me. But you I'm not so sure about. Because the very foundation of is what we find in John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what does it mean to live a life worthy of someone who gave their life for yours? Think about it this way. You have a body part that needs it's, it's bad. It's no good. So you, you need a transplant. You need a new one. Some of us need brain transplants. I'm one of those. But, you know, we need a transplant. And so somebody dies, and then you, you get their new part, whatever that part might be. What would it mean for you to live a life worthy of, of moving forward? You know, what would it mean for you to live a life worthy of that person who gave that part for you so that you could continue living? If it was a liver because you drank a little too much when you were younger... Are you going to keep drinking? Or are you going to like, all right, I need to change my ways? So what does that mean for us to live a life worthy of someone who died for us? There's the term self-fulfilling prophecy, and we hear a lot on education. It's the idea that, that people will, will grow into, into what we say about them. Um, the self-fulfilling part is that, that people live, you know, they, they, they live into whatever expectation we put on them. Um, the idea that if a child grows up hearing they're worthless and they're, they're a loser and they're never going to amount to anything, that there's a good chance that they may not amount to anything because they already believe that. They start to believe that I'm worthless. And, and I want, part of me wants to get into the fact that sometimes we, even as Christians, tell there are people in our world that we say you're worthless, that God doesn't love you. But I want to take it a different direction. What does it mean for us personally to believe that God loves us and that we're worthy that Jesus died for us because God loves us so much that Jesus died for us. And then the question is, are we living up to that expectation? Are we living lives worthy of the gospel? Are we living like we know that Jesus loves us and died for us? What does that look like? See, Paul believed the early Christians were called to change the world. He believed that they were to live in such a way that the world around them would just be affected. That's just how they lived. Um, I think I shared this once before, that because the Christians believed differently about death, that sometimes people looked at them as weird because they would actually bury the dead. Um, during things that would happen, they would actually do, do rituals and things um, I don't remember where I, I read that before, but they would sometimes take care of dead bodies that other people didn't want to take care of. But Paul believed that they were to live in such a way that the world around them would be affected. But it wasn't through gaining status or through power or control. It was simply through living out the gospel message in the day in and day out lives. Changing things, changing the world from the inside out. And see, honestly, this is so how, contrary to how Christianity seems to operate now. We, we try to use power and control and coercion. We, we try to force people into belief. 
We point out to others what we perceive to be their sins the whole time. We got an awful lot of stuff hidden in our closet and swept under our rugs. See, living our faith means living authentically. And I'll be honest, there have been times that I can't say I have, but today I can. What you see is what you get. There's going to be times you don't like it. That's your problem. (laughs) I'm working on it. But living our faith means living authentically. It means doing what we say. It means living what we believe. It means not faking it to fit in or conforming to where we find ourselves. It means letting that faith cause that friction wherever we are in this world. But Paul also says that it means standing firm in our faith and working together and striving together for the gospel message. What would it look like for us as Christians, or maybe even starting in our own churches, what would it look like for us to simply strive together to be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To tell people that God loves them so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. What would it mean for us to live into that, to to share with that love with others? Because if I believe Jesus died for me and my sins, guess what that means for everybody else? The same is true for them, whether I agree with them or not, as long as they come to believe. But I think one one of the many struggles of us today as Christians even, is that we we live in fear. We we, we fear people who are different or think different. we fear people. We, we fear people in the world that we necessarily don't agree with. We fear. We fear Republicans or Democrat. We fear transgender folks. We we fear. We fear drag queens. We fear all kinds of people out there in the world. But Paul says this in verse 28: Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. See, our sign to those that oppose us is living unafraid. But what kind of a message does it send to the world when you say, I believe in this omnipotent, almighty God, but I don't believe he's going to protect me. I believe in this omnipotent, almighty God, but, but I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm afraid of you. You might hurt me. See, we should be living with that assurance that Paul had, that living for Christ first and only, living like Jesus is enough for us. And believing for us to live as Christ and to die is gain. See, if we truly believe to live as Christ and to die is gain, and that nothing can take that away, what do we have to fear? What did Paul say? Paul believed that if he had to keep, if he had to keep on living, I kind of get that sense that Paul's like, well, I guess if I got to keep staying alive here, that you know God can still use me. But what's the worst thing for us? Being with Jesus? God forbid. But see, we also have to understand that we we can't just assume that people are opposing us. We don't live in the world that Paul lives in. Paul and the Philippians were in in a world that wasn't Christian. They were starting this new movement under Roman occupation. And so their fear was because of the government punishing them for sharing the gospel, for living this different way. For most of us, this isn't really true. It's not people opposing us for what we believe. Most of the times we hear of Christians being persecuted, it's because they're not living up to the standard that God has for them. Paul writes this in verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, 
Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, there's a difference between suffering for Christ and suffering because we're a jerk. There's a difference between suffering for Christ and suffering because we're not we're behaving poorly. Because what Paul is talking about is both the him and the early Christians, the Philippians, were living under these threats for their lives. Most of us aren't really living under threats for our lives. Like if I go out and somebody says I'm a Christian, I say I'm a Christian. I don't have to worry. Somebody's not going to throw me in jail. Especially, I mean, in our country. They might judge me. They might think something differently. Is my life in peril? Most likely not. But they were living under this targeted movement. But here's here's the other thing that I see in our world now that concerns me is that we as Christians need to be careful that we don't be the one that targets other people. It's one thing to share God's love with others. We can go out and share and share our faith. But I think we see a movement in our country right now where we are targeting certain people because we disagree with them. And that's fine. We can disagree with somebody, but don't target somebody. And I think we do that because if we're not careful, we can become the same people that nailed Jesus to that cross, the Pharisees and the leaders. Because as Christians, we're called to live a certain way in our society. And we can't force other people to live the way that we live. But even though some would consider our country to be a Christian nation, that ratio is changing. And I think a lot of that is changing because they look upon Christians for the longest time as being hypocritical and judgmental. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't go tell people. He didn't call them out for the things they did. He would go out and say, no, go and sin no more. He would call them out. He met them where they were. But I think a lot of the struggle we have is that we don't live up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians who live in fear of anyone who's different than them. Christians who live with hate in their heart towards anyone who disagrees with them or with whom they disagree. Jesus loves me. He doesn't love you. Jesus loves me, but you're questionable. I actually have a shirt that said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) I should have wore that today. We shouldn't be living in fear. What have we to fear? We shouldn't be letting anything or anyone else become more important than our walk with Jesus Christ. And we should be living our faith always and everywhere, no matter where we are. But we also should be secure in the knowledge that no matter what happens to us, we are going to always have Jesus. And as Paul said, we have to understand that for you to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Let us pray. To God, we come to you today. We know that there's a lot of unrest and scary things in our world. We just ask now that we put our hope, our faith, and trust in you. And that we believe that our God is bigger than anything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.